CavsCorner.com, your source for review sports. I am Brad Franklin, publisher of CavsCorner.com, coming to you live from the Blaise Franklin Estates in the West End of Richmond, where it is Sunday, uh, March the 18th, and quite frankly, I did not expect to be in the Palatial Franklin Estates in the West End of Richmond today. I expected to still be in Charlotte, probably getting ready to cover a, another basketball game. Um, so there's no way to sort of, I don't know, ignore that elephant in the room, which is exactly why we're here. i got a special guest on the show today. Uh, you know him um, from his uh, very witty uh, tweets as uh, as Phony Bennett on the on the Twitter machine. Um, he's a good buddy of mine and somebody who I've had the pleasure to get to know over the last few years. Phony Bennett, welcome back to the Cavs Corner Podcast. How are you, buddy? I uh, I've had better weekends, Brad. I I've, <laughs> I'll be honest. Uh, <laughs> like like you, I expected to be here on my couch, but I expected to be sipping bourbon as I prepared to watch another fun basketball game. Uh, mm-hmm. But it wasn't to be. No, it was not. And and I think as we get started in this discussion, I want to give folks some background. Phony and I talked last week before the tournament started about having him on, kind of doing a special podcast. And for me, that was great because I was thinking, all right, it's funny because as a as a person who covers the team, like you're you're sort of always thinking ahead, and and you 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 can't really think about jinxing anything. You sort of have to just plan for it because if they win, you you have to sort of be ready to go to another city, and you can't really afford to be flat footed in that. And so you kind of can't do that on content. So I was thinking, hey, be a great idea, man. Like let's let's have funny on the podcast. We'll talk basketball. We'll we'll just run another special edition like I did this last week with uh, Patrick Stevens, a good and a friend of mine who's my re- my resident bracketologist. So the fact that he's here is not specifically because of the way things went Friday night. It just so happened that he and I had already discussed him being on the show um, without any idea that, that things were going to go that way. I, I was, um, I think as I have sort of tried to be quiet the past couple of days, I've tried to think through this in my own way. Uh, I started writing a column this afternoon uh, that'll run. By the time people hear this tomorrow, it'll, it'll be out. And I got to admit, I am... I don't think I am confused as to what happened Friday night. I also don't think I'm in a position to panic, but that doesn't mean that I don't think that there aren't some things that Virginia can change and maybe tweak going forward. I'm interested, Phony, in your response to to Friday night. How long did it take you before the emotion, or maybe it's still there, for the emotion sort of subsided and you were able to kind of look at it, maybe from an analytical sort of like big picture uh, viewpoint. How, how long did it take before you started kind of getting a much better feel maybe for what actually went down Friday night? You, you know, it was probably yesterday afternoon this morning. I mean, right, you know, when the game ended, I my first, well, maybe not my first thought, one of my many thoughts was, well, I guess I won't be doing Brad's podcast this week. Uh, I just couldn't even picture myself talking about it. It was just so shocking. And uh, so disappointing. Like it, it, it did take a little while to be like, okay, let's, let's look at this rationally. And there are so many hot takes on Twitter. Uh, but I think I'm with you that, that it's, it's not panic time, but there, there are some changes that I would like to see. And, uh, it's easy after a game like that, just to blame the team or, or to blame the coaches. But I, I think first of all, you got to credit UMBC for coming in. With, with a good game plan and executing the hell out of it. And uh, from there, a lot of things didn't, didn't go our way, but um, yeah, credit to them for sure. The thing I want to start with is, is self-scouting. And, and I think that Virginia does a pretty good job of this more often than not. I think they understand, Tony and his staff understand their limitations and appreciate them in ways that I think um, is good for, for their game plans. I think sometimes the mistake they might make is they overestimate their strengths not in the, and not in the standpoint of um 
you know, they think they've got to make, you know, they think they can make 30 out of 30, uh, right? But it's sometimes in the sense that, like, as, as you sort of watch that game unfold, you got the sense that instead of maybe feeding the post and, and trying to take advantage of, of, of a strength over this specific team that they might have, he was really focused, it seemed like, on trying to get his guys, his guards going. And I, I understand that, and as we talk about this thing, I think it's, it's, it's important to note that basically the second half, for all intents and purposes, by the under-16, this thing was done. Um, and I know that that sounds weird, but it, it's in, it, it's it, it's 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 a it's a reality that we sort of can't escape. I mean, by the time by the time they went to to the break, right? It's twenty one twenty one. I almost felt like Virginia would be in a better spot to have been down um, because at this point, all you all all that has happened is is that you've essentially I don't want to say wasted, but basically wasted the time when when UMBC wasn't going to score. And you've given them hope, and I mean, they came out to start the second half. They go on what a thirteen to three run um, over the first, uh, excuse me, a seventeen to three run. Now, to put that in context, they scored seventeen points on UVA in four minutes and eight seconds. Um, I, I think we can we can pull a, a countless number of examples right from this season when that right. you know, that just would not have been a thing. But I feel like Tony tried to get his guards going, and 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 in hindsight, maybe he would change that. I think. One of the one of the maybe the problems that Virginia has run into in the postseason has been that historically he's had a, several guys he has to get going because if he doesn't get those guys going the offense can't go. Um, as you watch this thing unfold and I don't I, I I venture to guess you haven't gone back and watched it again, but uh, yeah, sure. what 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 kind of adjustments do you think Virginia should have made and maybe when do you think they should have made them? Well, I mean, there were shades probably late in the first half where it really started to remind me of that Virginia Tech game where we we were getting sped up. They were putting on ball pressure and we just defaulted to these these long outside shots every time. And uh, you you mentioned the post touches. I've always thought we do better when when we work inside out. And I know we don't have like a back to the basket guy and maybe and and of course, the, the blocker mover offense doesn't really favor that kind of game. But I, I think we're better when we're working inside out and we're creating opportunities. I mean, you've got to keep defenses honest. And, and instead they were able uh, to, to clog the lanes to, to prevent us from, from getting, uh, you know, anything inside. And we, we forced a lot of outside looks and, and I mean, guys, guys weren't hitting them. I mean, look, a lot of things had to go wrong in this game for us to lose. And, uh, and a lot of things had to go right for UMBC and, and unfortunately all that, that happened. I mean, I would have been, uh, it, I wanted to, to see these inside touches. I mean, I, Isaiah took two threes. I think he made one like, again, get the ball to him in the post. We've seen Jack with some little baby hooks, get some touches for Jack. And, and even if, uh, you know, he doesn't take that shot, we, we can keep the defense honest and then get some better looks from the outside. But there was, there was some panic that, that was shown in our, our guys that I, I really am not used to seeing this year. And, that I, I I expected the second half for us to come out and be like, okay, you know, forget about the first half and just dominate. And unfortunately, that didn't happen. I mean, Miles came out and, and uh, I mean, UMBC just couldn't miss. And I think you saw it in, in our team's eyes that, um, you know, suddenly they, they were playing from a position of desperation. And uh, they, that was not a good position for this group to play from. It's almost like they knew they were cooked way before we did, right? It's almost like they knew. And I, and I was breaking down some numbers for a column that, that has not been published yet, but, but will, be, by, will have been by the time folks listen to this. From the 11, four, 
excuse me, 11.44 mark of the second half on, right? UMBC went 12 of 15 from the floor, right? It's important to note that at that point, they were up 14 before, before that mark. So not only were they, had they built a big lead, but they just kept it. And you just, like, I don't care who you're playing. Take away Virginia's defense and the numbers and stuff. I'm just talking about just in general. That just does not happen. Like, to have a team be that far ahead, you know, or, and, and especially in the, in, the, in the sense of a game, you know, where possessions are going to be at a premium. Um, but it, it's even worse. From the 6-12 mark of the first half, okay, the Retrievers went 23 of 34 from the floor. It's like I told uh, Dave and Ferber today. It's like the inverse echo of the Clemson game. It's like in that game, all of the shots that Clemson missed in succession and whatnot, right? It, it's like all of those shots that they missed, this team made from that point forward. Because it was, I think it was a seven-point deficit of 623 for UVA, and they came back, and I think Clemson scored 13 points the rest of the way. If you added up these shots, they basically would have been 13 points. It's astounding to me. And I, look, I think you made a good point a minute ago. We have to we have to talk about this game in sort of two ways. One is to talk about it in the sense of like what UVA did wrong. We got to talk about what UMBC UMBC did right. Um, they didn't just have a pulse and win, right? Like they had a they had a, a really good game plan, which I think borrowed a lot from. Um, it seems like a um, a game plan that's sort of been floating out there, sort of what Buzz used a little bit. Um, other other teams have used it in the past. You sort of have to beat Virginia at Virginia's game first to get yourself there, and then you have to go out and just ball out. And that's what these guys did. They made shots. They played really good defense. I thought from the from the tip, uh, KJ Mora on Ty Jerome. Ty Jerome just did not look like himself from the literally from the tip. Virginia won the tip. Mora comes up to defend Jerome, and he just was not himself. Um, I, I don't know if that's a just a product of facing a smaller kind of waterbug point guard. I don't know if that was a product of just the moment and just the, the pressure that came with it. Um, I, I saw an interesting quote from Jay Wright at some point this weekend. He talked about several years ago when he was a number one playing somebody, and they were not far from from home. Um, so you know it was a, basically a home game for them, and the building turned on them once the other team, you know, because right. they it, and and that's something that that happened here. You had a lot of Virginia fans in the building, um, but man, that place got. It got crazy and energetic and just charged in a hurry, um, and this thing did. It really, it really got away from them. And you mentioned panic, and I, and and that's something that I've already written in in this column that I, that I was talking about a minute ago. That's the first time all year that I've seen them panic, and I was thinking back to all the tight games that they played. Think about you know the Boston College game uh, to start the ACC play. Um, they they things got tight then. The Duke game. Um, you know they were down at Florida State. They were down against obviously against Louisville. They there were a number yeah, of times really where they awful. were in pressure situations, and they responded. Um, you know the Carolina game, for example. Heck, like that one was down to two. Um, Virginia went on a run and 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 basically sealed it. I I just I don't know if there's a if it really is just only the psychological aspect of March that really got them, but it definitely looked like to me that for whatever reason they were panicked. Um, I guess the elephant in the room then is like we talk about, uh, and I mean probably will forever, right? Forever, um, which is an important, <laughs> and it's an important reality, right? That right. Not having DeAndre yeah. Hunter is a big deal. We're going to talk about this game forever, and the, the 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 caveat with this, the asterisk will always be, well, they, it wasn't like they were at full strength. I'm not naive enough to think that UMBC would have been a dramatically different opponent if Dre is on the floor. I'm also not naive enough to think that the same game plan plays out. Devin Hall goes out with two fouls in the first half. 
then Lyles gets going. Now, he he didn't score a bunch, right? He he made that three after the D- Jerome foul at 324 after the whistle. Then he makes a real one that counts at 306. And I'm not, I'm not going to say that, that if Dre's on him, he doesn't make that shot and therefore doesn't get going. But I don't think he scores 23 points in the second half, um, if that's the case. What what yeah. impact do you think Dre had and how much does uh, – Dre that not having Dre had and, and how much of an impact do you think um, – how much does that change maybe sort of the way that you view this loss? I mean, I, I think it adds some texture to it, but I think it's a, a mistake and a cop-out to say, well – you know, we would have won if, if Dre had been there. I mean, maybe maybe that's the case. The the game would have gone differently in some way. But Dre not being there is isn't the reason they lost. I mean, you know, playing playing UNBC, you should be able to take out three of our nine rotation guys and and still beat them. I mean, that's the, that's the reality of it. And and the guys that we had available should have been able to do this and and unfortunately i mean it really was a, a perfect storm of of awfulness i mean we had uh zay and devin in, in foul trouble early uh, devin was not on his game uh you know ty did not look comfortable out there uh we you know we're not getting any kind of looks for for jack i mean we you know which which i think we we need to uh I mean, there there was just so many. We couldn't get shots for Kyle in the first half. What did he have? Two attempts, three attempts in the first half. Um, it, it was just none of it was working. And so I, I have a hard time saying, well, if Hunter had been there, we it would have been different. I mean, you know, maybe maybe we would have lost by ten if Hunter had been there. Maybe maybe we would have won. But but the team that we had uh, should not have lost. And and um, you know, I think we got to accept that, and it's a cop out to say otherwise. Yeah, I, I agree. I don't think that uh, I might. I might not go so far as to say cop out. I do think if anybody says the reason Virginia loss is blah blah blah, that's a cop out. I think I, I've always said two things can be true at the same time. I've said that on podcasts. I've written whole columns that basically around the idea that there can be multiple truths, um, and not including the one that 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 I'm going to publish tomorrow morning. That folks, I, I'm guessing by now will have read. I think it's safe to say that both it did have a dramatic impact and yet still Virginia should have been able to win. And I do think that the thing is different. And honestly, do I think that UMBC would have won? I think that hypothetical is is interesting for, you know, I'm sure countless talk radio hosts, um, maybe even some folks on podcasts. I don't think there's much use in wasting time on it because it's not a thing that happened. But I do think there's there's use in in talking about it in the in terms of the macro, you know, we've, we've talked micro about this game. Okay. Let's talk, you know, the big picture about UVA basketball in general. Um, it's not, um, I don't think it's, um, it's outside the realm of foolishness to think that not having Deandre Hunter dramatically changed UVA in a variety of ways. Probably the most important being not only was he someone who you could have put on Lyles when, when Hall was hurt, but you probably could have put him on Lyles in and out to give Hall a break. But beyond that, offensively, he was the guy. He was the guy that Virginia could lean on to go get a bucket when they needed one. And if there's anything that I think Tony and his staff need to address, need to consider going forward, need to maybe change in terms of recruiting, Virginia just historically has not had a guy outside of maybe Malcolm Brogdon and now DeAndre Hunter, who you literally you could say, go get me a bucket. And if I'm being honest, they've passed on a, on a number of guys who were good enough to go get me a bucket. They knew, for example, Chris Likes, tiny dude, tiny, right? right? But that kid can go get you a bucket. 
they had, I mean, like they recruited him for a while before they offered. And, but I mean, it was very apparent early when they first started, you know, kind of tracking him that he was a guy who could go get you a bucket. They're worried about whether or not he's physical enough to play defense in the ACC. Totally understand that. I'm still, I'm still not sold that it would have been a perfect fit for him. But in terms of what Virginia needed, go get a, go get you a guy who can go get a bucket. And it's amazing to me to think about these tight games that Virginia's been in and how many times the pressure would have been alleviated by simply having a guy who could just go get you a bucket. And how many times this year did DeAndre Hunter just go get them a basket, whether it was a mid-range, yeah. you know, after a jab step, whether it was just going to the, to, the, to the rack itself. That's the thing I think, Virginia, if, I, if there's a takeaway from this, uh, from this experience this season, the reason that they're 31-3 and three and why they're not playing on and maybe why they've had struggles in the, uh, in the postseason, I think ultimately it comes down to that one thing. You, you, were, you had more offensive weapons that surrounded Dre this year and so when you had the guy who could go get you a bucket, there were other guys who then could feed off of that, right? You, don't have, you didn't have that, and, you, and it looked that way. What are some of the things, as you sort of look at the program as a whole, outside of obviously you know, these crazy people who think you know, that Virginia should make a coaching change, but outside, outside of that nonsense, what are some of the things that you look at and you think, you know what, I really think Virginia should do this. What are some of the things you would recommend to the real Tony Bennett? I mean, I, I think – Watching it, it, our our offense is is so the the blocker mover is so guard focused, and um, a, a good defense really forces us into those outside shots. And if if they're not falling, uh, you know, we we don't have any hope. And so, like like you said, I mean, we've long needed a guy that can get a bucket. DeAndre is that guy. I think Mamadi could be that guy. He's certainly shown some potential, and I was really hoping that he would pick up some of that scoring slack, some of those mid range jumpers, and and even inside play that. Uh, Dre can provide uh, this game, but it's, you know, it's tough for me to uh, say, well, you know, you got to scrap the blocker mover. I mean, that's, that's what I've, I've peaked at a couple message boards and everyone's like, well, Tony needs a brand new offensive system. I I don't know that that brand new is needed, but I, I think his offensive system is built around guys who aren't as capable as, as what we have uh, on the roster right now. And I think we, we need to make some changes so that those guys can, can have a little more freedom so that we can see uh, a little more, um, you know, letting guys create their shot. You know, I, I'd hope Nigel would, would kind of be that guy. I mean, he, he showed some flashes where he could drive and then I don't know if he didn't have the the freedom to do that, but, but that kind of went away. I mean, Ty can, can take it to the basket. Kyle can take it to the basket, but you didn't still didn't see a lot of that from those guys. And I don't know if that's a, uh, uh, because of the scheme, um, because they're, they're afraid of missing and getting pulled. I'm, I, I, it's tough for me to, blame that on anything but um you know just watching us slide into this kind of one-dimensional team and and we did it against virginia tech i mean how many how many threes did we put up against virginia tech uh that's that's not going to win you a lot of games playing like that and so um you know part of it's the you know we we maybe didn't have the the personnel that we wanted but we had guys on there that that i thought could do that but instead our offense got really stagnant and and you know, when the offense is just stagnant, I mean, I think you got to put that on the coach. Yeah, I, th- I think that's fair. I think as you looked at this team, it's it's odd, right, that for, for we're talking about Virginia need to make offensive changes when clearly Tony had his best offensive bunch, right? His best offensive group in terms of talent. Yeah. And I think one of the problems is is that 
that you're right. I, I thought Nigel this season would give them an element of of um, of something maybe they haven't had, and he did that at times. As a matter of fact, he did that in this game. He had a pair of drives uh, just before the under eight timeout that actually gave UVA um, pretty much its last lead, uh, at which I was uh, yeah, it was his last lead. He he had two drives, nine fifty eight fifty two to give him the thirteen ten. The Momdi has the and one um, after the under eight that gave him the sixteen ten. That was their biggest lead uh, of the day, and I think what's interesting is that. That was, I think, the one post-touch that Mamadi really got. If there's anything that Virginia has, has had a problem with, it's not necessarily to me that they, that they, that they can't go in the post. It's that they don't. And, and if there's a tweak that you can find somewhere in there, right. it is, I think, to, to, to recruit big men with offensive games regardless of what their defensive chops are. Um, and I know that that sounds sacrilege. I get that. But that's part of Virginia's problem is that they have not, other than Anthony Gill, Right, had a big man that they could rely rely on consistently to score. I was going to say I'd give so much for a guy that could play with his back to the basket. I mean, I think we were promised that with Austin Nichols, um, and he should have been on this team for the record. He yeah. should have been on this team. <laughs> oh yeah, uh, but in and uh, yeah, I don't see why Salt can't develop that. I, you know, he's he's got the size and he's he's shown a little bit of flair inside. I mean, I would I would love to see him get more opportunities because just that changes so much for the rest of the guys yeah i think what's funny is that i remember the 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 last acc tournament team right and i remember thinking that year hey sometimes joe harris just needs to shoot uh, i remember there were a lot of times where joe would go up to shoot and he'd pass and ultimately virginia would end up with a poor shot and i remember saying at the time here and elsewhere like a joe harris shot is better than anybody else shot right. and i understand the thought process that maybe okay so jack is is developing in the post. He he showed flashes this season, I think, that warranted him getting more touches. The problem is Virginia's style of play is such that you only get a hand a certain number of possessions. You're only going to get a certain number of attempts, unless you're creating a bunch of turnovers to get yourself extra opportunities. The reality is is that would you rather Jack shot Jack Salt be shooting in the lane uh, three four times, or would you rather Ty Jerome and Kyle Guy getting those touches? And I feel like that's the place where that rubber has to meet the road here, in the sense that. What Virginia has done in terms of pace has been obviously ripped apart by anybody who you know seems to have a, any sort of axe to grind, right? But I wonder if there's not a real genuine sort of issue that is created when you're not making jump shots and the guys who are shooting those jump shots are your best offensive players. There's really nowhere else for you to turn. And it wasn't so much to me that guys missed jump shots in this game. It's that they settled for jump shots in this right. game. And then I thought that they should have done a better job of feeding the post. And maybe if Virginia had a score that that the that the other that the other players understood as a better score, right? If Austin Nichols is there, does anybody really think he's not getting touches in the post? If Anthony right. Gill's there, does anybody really think he's not getting touches in the post? But but they know that Jack and Isaiah are not, you know, offensive powerhouses. I mean, even Momdi, if you live with his mistakes, and he does make some mistakes here or there, if you live with those and you just feed the post, good things typically will happen. Yes. Virginia's problem, I think, is, is that sometimes their guards are so are, are doing so much to get open that those looks inside are just not their priority. And I feel, I feel like blocker mover can work uh, in a variety of different ways. The way that Virginia has run it primarily this season, I think they just have to be more mindful of the, of the paint touches. If you think about where the offense went, maybe back third of the ACC slate after the tech loss, like they started getting the ball into the post after that game. Yeah. Where they shot I, too many threes and, and good things happened. 
Yeah, I you know I after that game that was one of those games where where people would say well you know this will be a good loss for them because it will teach it and I I certainly wasn't convinced after the game but but a week a week and a half later you were seeing a more concerted effort to get the ball into the paint and it, it was paying huge dividends so I I came to believe okay that's a good loss for us that made us better and then somehow we we got away from that uh, for this game and and I didn't think we took advantage of the physical matchups that we had I mean I know There's Jack my, yeah. Jack's not not a guy that's that's going to pour it in, but we could get him matched up against someone that he could score on in that game. And you know we had the size, we had the athleticism on this team, and I don't think we we took good advantage of that. Not at all, and I think that's been a problem. Matter of fact, that's a, that's also on my list of Virginia has has historically always always done this thing where Tony will go with his five. And he will stick with that five until the other team proves to him that he can't keep them on the floor. But you can go into matchups and say, well, wait a minute. You know, they're going to go four out, one in. You can't play two traditional posts in this game. You're going to have to go right. small. But Virginia won't. Virginia doesn't, doesn't allow itself to, to – doesn't dictate to the other team what the other team should do. Rather, they react because it's a defensive-minded program. How many times has Virginia um, – you know, in the days of Mike Tovey, right – how many times were there games where you thought, you know what, Virginia's a bigger, taller, longer team here. They have more uh, than that other team does. And then just they never, they never seem to really make their offensive, uh, it, their offensive strength uh, a, a focus. It's always right. around who, what they can defend and what they can't defend. And again, I'm not going to sit here and tell uh, Tony Bennett how to coach his team. I'm certainly not going to say that, that, that this is a stupid strategy or blah, blah, blah. I, I'm not reactionary. I am just genuinely thinking like, okay, there are going to be times like this game where your advantage was in the post. And even if the post isn't the thing that's carried you all season, you actually somewhere along the way develop guys who might be able to score a little bit. Mamdi right. and Jack, I understand you might not be able to play them together because of defense, right? You, you might not like that lineup as much. But realistically, with Hunter out, and he was at times such a, 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 an important piece of the puzzle in the post – because he was able to get to the rim, those high percentage shots are the exact thing that the pack line is designed to take away. Why? Because they're the best shots. And so offensively, Virginia decided, no, no, we're going to take the shots that we try to, to basically leave other people because they're lower percentage. And it doesn't make much sense to me. Right. You know what I mean? Like the whole idea of the pack line is to take away the very thing that you won't even try to have offensively. And I think that's got to be a focus for them, at least in some way, shape or form, um, considering the pieces they got coming back. Yeah, it's it's yeah, maximizing the the talent that we've had out there, and, and certainly Tony's been so good at at developing the talent. But I would certainly like to see us take advantage of of more matchups. And and um, I mean, it's all it's all hindsight at this point, right? It's easy to to be an armchair coach or or a fake coach, whatever you want to call it. But uh, <laughs> I, I I wish. Uh, I I wish the offense had had looked a little bit different. But but. Frankly, I mean, regardless of what was happening with the offense, there was that point in the game where we just we looked defeated. We looked it, it was not something we had seen from this team, and and I'm not sure, you know, how we come back, uh, how, how we were going to come back from that. You know, I was feeling like still we're going to win this game up until about 12 minutes left in in the second half. I was like, okay, this this is a bigger deficit than we're used to, but these guys are are still better and. Every time there was that that span, I mean, you gave those those numbers for like the last eleven forty four or whatever. Every time, like I thought we were going to make a push, they would come down and and hit a shot, and 
I mean, they would have a hand in their face and, and they hit some tough shots. I mean, I thought early on in the game, we had some bad closeouts and guys didn't have their hands up, but I, I wasn't necessarily seeing that in the second half. I was seeing the team making tough shots and our guys, I mean, that just seemed to take the wind out of their sails. And they did a good job, I think, UMBC did, of, of spreading the floor and basically forcing, and I thought this was a, a credit to, to Coach Odom, not many teams attack the pack line this way. And, and when I say this way, what I mean by that is the pack line is predictable. And, when I'm, and I don't mean that as a negative. It's, a, it's just consistent. If you do this, the pack line will do that. Right? right, and if you plan ahead, Maryland was pretty good at this. If you plan ahead, you can plan. All right, the big, the the post trap is going to come here. We're going to pass here. You're going to go here. That's going to cause this rotation, and this guy's going to be open on the backside. And if right. you and if you did it correctly, uh, you could you you would get the shot you wanted. Now, whether or not you made it, that was up to you. I thought uh, the the retrievers did a nice job of essentially using the pack lines principles against it. Um, the scramble, Ty Jerome mentioned this in the post game. You know, the scramble wasn't very good. The problem is, is that I thought UMBC did a great job of when they when they made UVA move, they spaced themselves well, and the ball never stopped moving, right? Right. And I mean, if you think about it, at the half, Virginia had no assists. The thing that was was, was they were really struggling was just moving the ball. Like the thing would just would just stick. Meanwhile, UMBC is whipping it around everywhere, and I think ball movement and just guys being smart about how they were attacking. I mean, credit to them, but they were. You're right. They were making tough shots, and then they were they were making even like it wasn't even that they were just making tough shots. It was they were making them consistently. And I mean, you you get to I think the under eight it was um, 52-40. Um, uh, Nigel had just hit a three. It was a third three UVA had hit it in a row. They come back out. The Grant kid has a drive for UMBC. Virginia answers. The Lyles kid has an an answers, you know, and then it kind of goes back and forth. And that's kind of the way it was until the under four and Virginia had to start, you know, scrambling and trying to press, which is something they aren't accustomed to doing. And that's another thing I've been thinking about in terms of like tweaks and whatnot. I'm not saying Virginia should uh, to do everything I'm, I'm I'm pointing out. I'm just saying like, here are some things that they could do. I, I don't know if Virginia does, though, need to get away from from the pack line or, you know, this idea. I, I saw a lot of people posit that, well, when you're not built to come back from a from a deficit, it's like Georgia Tech football, right? They're they're not built to come from behind twenty one nothing. Like they have it, when they have to start passing, then you, you you've got them where you want them. Um, I, I don't think Virginia should panic um, after losing a game where the kids panic um, by saying, you know, okay, we're we're going to work on the pack line, but we're also going to you know have a three quarter court press. You know, like it's right. it's something you need to have in you know a last minute scenario, but you're not going to all of a sudden become who you're not. And I think fans have to sort of get get that part out of their mind like you're not gonna you're not gonna radically change who you are and what you do in the middle of a game sure you can have some different sets and I think some of the offensive priorities we've been talking about but realistically that team wasn't gonna win a game when it struggled offensively and then also couldn't get stops I'm not sure which one of those is chicken and which one of those is the egg but I know that both of them are problematic um what are, are there any other kind of changes that you you would like to see them consider at least as they go forward yeah, I mean, probably, I mean, the the one thing offensively is, yeah, we need to have a, an extra gear offensively for those times when we need to come back. Look, the, the pack line is going to take time off off the clock. I mean, teams are going to be hunting for a shot. I don't know how we how we change that. If you make it impossible for them to take a shot, I mean, what are you going to say? Well, let's let's let them take a shot earlier. Like, I mean, I, I, we can't change that. But but the offense was still using a, a lot of clock and still settling for jumpers. Uh, there, there's got to be something 
better. And, and you look at, you know, when UMBC was, was getting looks, and it's something that a lot of teams had success with this year. They, they get that post touch and then two or three passes and they're, they're reversing the ball. And, you know, suddenly we've got one guy scrambling to, to, you know, get out on the, on the shooter. And, and uh, they, they made it look easy at times to get that. And so you still got a guy running out with his hand up, but um, guys able to set up and, and, and get a good look. I don't know how you, you stop that. And I don't know if that's, if, if that's a problem with, with the pack line or if it was personnel not uh, moving quickly enough and not rotating quickly enough. But, uh, you know, I, offensively, there, there's got to be something else that, that we can go to um, because, I mean, man, there was just so much standing around, you know, one or two passes. And, yeah, you got guys coming off screens here and there, but it wasn't anything that was, uh, you know, getting us any kind of looks. And then, it comes down to the last five seconds and somebody's heaving up a, a contested shot. And, you know, that's, that's not going to win a lot. Yeah. That's problematic. I, th- I feel like one of the things that you just touched on is something that really kind of dovetails nicely into what I, what I've been thinking about, which is I'm, I'm not going to pr- propose that people, you know, that, 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 that they stay scrap the pack line or anything like that. And I'm not even going to say the blocker movers are a problem. I do wonder if I understand the methodology behind um, why the pace is what it is. One, they don't attack the offensive glass because they get back in uh, on defense. Okay, cool. Right. Don't you don't need to change that. Um, I, I think n- another aspect of it is is they they do. I, I think they they do typically sort of get their break on offense, so they do walk it up the floor and they and they want to make you make they want to make you work right. They want to make you uh, work when they're on defense, so that it it hurts their ability to 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 get a good shot when when they're on offense. I get that. I do think Virginia could do a little bit more to get into the offense quicker. I do also think that one thing I wouldn't mind seeing is for them not necessarily to have a, a new offensive system, but to have a more varied offensive system. And what I mean by that is, let's say they, they follow through on the idea of, of having a guy who can go get his own bucket. More ball screen stuff, more stuff that you can do more easily to sort of change gears when one thing's not working. I mean, sometimes Virginia's offense is struggling, and, and literally the only way to make them work is for guys to just do it better. Which, in, you know, imagine imagine a game where your running game just wasn't going and you just never passed the ball, right? Like, in essence, I know that's a, a kind of a gross analogy, but in some ways it, it's sort of true here. Like, Virginia doesn't, doesn't vary what it does offensively. Um, again, I'm not saying that the blocker mover can't work, and I know how Tony wants the two, the two sides of the floor to work together. But I also think that there are going to be times, and especially in March, and, and, and that kind of brings us to the – the last piece of the puzzle, which is the you know why they struggle in March. I, I don't think that a game that you play uh, on March um, on March the sixteenth is dramatically different than a game that you play on February the sixteenth. Right. I do think that though that one of the things that you're going to have a problem with is the idea that let's say in the ACC play you've played a team on a third you played on a thir- some other team played on a Thursday then they got to come to you on a Saturday and they got to turn around and play on a Tuesday right that's a very different reality than they had all week to prepare for you and they know they only have one more game in 3 days they have to prepare for right so they can send assistants to go scout other teams but realistically the, the team itself can work on the stuff for this one game and i wonder if if that piece of the puzzle virginia's really good at the grind March is not a grind. March is a crapshoot. And you run up against a team who has nothing to lose like UMBC does, and they're playing well, and, they're, and, they're, and they have a good plan, and they're executing it. 
it's just not the same as what you what you're able to master during the ACC season. So I'm not saying that um, that you need to make wholesale changes because you need to be better in March. Right. I just think that you need to apply some different logic in terms of how you how you attack the postseason. I, I think guys at this point, especially in, in light of this game, will be tight um, until they. Till they win games uh, in another tournament, they're going to be tight. This thing will hang over them. There's just no way to escape oh, yeah. that. The problem, I think, will be how you prepare for that. Do you just ask them to keep doing things the same way they've done them, or do you ask them to do things that are um, maybe a little easier in terms of what is being – you know, it's the idea of um, – you know, if you think back to Virginia football, and I'm using football analogies here just as, to, as a way to sort of explain things, but – um, when the, when Kurt Benkirk and them had it cooking, it was when they were going downfield and they're, you know, creating big passing plays. One that made drives easier because they were two, three plays instead of like eight or 10, a lot of more places to make right. mistakes in eight or 10. But also too, when that thing went away, there's a lot of moving pieces that have to happen, right. For a passing game downfield to work. Um, I think there are a lot of things that have to happen for Virginia, uh, offensively and defensively for them to have the sort of success in March that they have had during the regular season. And I, I don't, I don't know what that ratio is. I don't know where you tweak it, but I think having guys who can get their own offense and understanding that there are going to be times when maybe you need to play a little faster, um, not necessarily at the detriment of your off defense, but at the, for maybe for the potential of your offense would be right. a step in the right direction. What do you feel like happens for them going forward, at least in terms of moving past uh, Friday night? I mean, you know, unfortunately, this is going to be the team's albatross for for years to come. I mean, I think until they get to a Final Four, it's it's going to be mentioned a lot. I'm already getting tired of hearing it mentioned in every broadcast. Like, I want to enjoy the rest of March Madness, but I can't because there's always somebody bringing it up. And so, it's, <laughs> it, 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 you've been it's, watching it's basketball. Very, I'm like, what is basketball? I don't even know what that is anymore. I, I've tried to put some on, and then it's like, oh, God, come on, you guys are showing it. The, the one the one benefit of losing the way we did is there's not a single play that they're going to keep showing over and over. There's not like this buzzer beater where Virginia fell. I mean, they can pick any of a number of highlights, so there's not at least one highlight that gets burned into my memory. Uh, but, I mean, as, as far as moving past it, I mean, I think, you know, Tony's probably good at, at – um, the psychological side and, and um, the fresh start next year, it's, it's not going to leave the program until they, they go to a, a final four at least. And certainly a championship would probably um, exercise those demons completely. And, and look, we're, we're getting back a lot of talent next year. I mean, I I'm assuming Hunter is coming back for another year. That's, um, you know, you certainly see his options bandied about, but you know, if, if, if he comes back, uh, hopefully Huff continues to develop to where he can actually be useful. Um, you know, I saw all the fans clamoring to, to put him in and, and I don't think he would have been the solution. I wouldn't mind seeing Marco uh, a, l- a little bit, but I, I don't know that uh, Huff was the solution uh, on Friday. Um, but I mean, it's just going to take winning and getting back out there and, and uh, just to, to put the, the scars of, of that game behind us. If there's anything I know about Ty and Kyle, it's that those two kids are super duper confident. And I don't have, I don't think it's any question that this game will have a dramatic impact on them. Um, that they were the ones that Virginia chose to bring to the podium Friday night, I thought was, was really telling. I thought, actually, honestly, it was a human thing to not ask 
uh, Zay and, and Devin to come up, especially considering yeah. the games they had. Kyle and, and Ty were the top two scorers, but they were clearly emotional and they were clearly impacted on a drama- on a substantial level um, by this. How they how they attack this 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 off season, I think will be will be really interesting. I'm, I'm like you. I think Dre, uh, you know, it, it, it's it's very likely he comes back, um, especially considering the wrist injury. Um, he'll be the starting three next year. So I think that's a, if you think about his NBA future, he's not a four at the next level. He's got it. I think his ball handling has to improve. And I think that gives him a chance to do that and gives him a chance to, to work on that as he, as he, imp- you know, how he gets in the lab and, and gets better on the court. Um, you expect Mamadi to step in at the four and be the starter there. Um, I, I think, his ability to play offensively um, and his ability this offseason to really hone that it dramatically impacts that team next year because that five, I know the bench won't be what the bench was this year, but that five is really strong. Um, and yeah. then you're sort of pre-built to be able to go four guard with uh, with Dre at the four if you need to and Mamadi at the five. Um, I don't know. I think for right now it's hard to gauge just how much – you know uh, how much the the loss will um, will haunt them. It it won't really be a thing, I don't think, until next March. But I do agree with your point about Tony. I think he is the perfect coach for this um, because I think he does a good job of of really explaining the difference um, between uh, the, you know I think he understands the margin for error and and his his mindset when you're when you're winning the fact that he's not a rah rah kind of coach I think helps him when 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 the team is down in the dumps and look they responded to that Syracuse um disaster um and and have you know came back and have obviously built a, a winner that had one of the most impressive seasons you know in school history obviously uh had the most impressive season I think maybe in ACC history if you think about the three wins in the ACC tournament to win the title right so I, I don't think we should throw the baby out with the bathwater I also don't think we you know folks should ignore the warts and the, the question is going to be how uh, Tony, his staff and the players sort of address them. I, I feel like a lot of what we've talked about today, you know, like I said, I mean, I'm not going to tell Tony Bennett how to coach. I'm sure he and Jason and Ron and Brad have all talked about this stuff probably on a you know right. routine basis. Um, my guess would be that uh, we'll see some tweaks next year. Um, we'll, you know, we'll probably, um, you know, we'll talk to Tony before the season and, and he'll probably tell us some of the things that, you know, they've, they've done to, to sort of address this. But in terms of the loss itself and the end of the season, I, I think above all, I'm just left with a feeling of sadness. I'm just sad for the kids that this is the thing after our tremendous season that they'll be remembered for, uh, you know, luckily for some of them, they'll get, you know, more shots of this. They'll be able to keep knocking. Uh, any uh, closing thoughts, Phony, before we, before we wrap this one up? No, I mean, I'm, I'm excited for the personnel that are coming back next year. I think, you know, the, with, with, you know, continued improvement of Kyle and Ty with, with Mamadi, I think he's poised to take a, a big jump next year. Um, of course, Hunter, you know, as, as a starter, uh, as long as we can get him back is, is going to be incredible for us. So uh, I'm optimistic about next year. And um, I, you know, I hate this for Devin and Zay. I mean, those guys, um, you know, I know they're, they're devastated by this and it's, it's a shame because we still finish the season with fewer losses than, than any other team will have. Uh, they won the regular season. They won an ACC tournament title and, and, you know, nothing's going to, going to take that away. And, and there's, there's going to be a banner, uh, for that tournament title. You know, there's, there's not going to be a banner because they lost 
to a 16 seed. So they can they can celebrate what they accomplished, and and the rest are going to have to put behind them and and move forward. So I'm it's going to be a long off season. I can't wait till they get back on the court next year. And, and frankly, this tournament is going to last a lot longer than I wanted it to, because it's, it's hard for me to enjoy it at this point, but um, I'm appreciative for what the team has done this year. And, and especially just how well Devin and Zay represent themselves on and off the court. They're, they're incredible kids. And, and uh, you know, I, I, I feel for them that their careers ended the way they did. Uh, because they accomplished so much for this program. And and, and I also, too, want to add you, your point about guys being able to improve. I think if you think back to when Ty and Kyle committed to UVA and the, the thought process around what kind of players they could be, I don't think anybody expected them year over year to make the jump defensively that they both made. Um, right. And so if they make a similar sort of, you know, if, if they have momentum in their games like that, um, you know, they're going to have really good junior seasons. I, I think – you know, if you think about Mamadi and the and, and 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 Dre and sort of the improvements that they can be there, if Jack continues to to become a better low post scorer, you know, I I mean, that that team next year will come in with a lot of expectations, um, more way more so than this one did, and I think early on they'll be challenged in a yeah. in a way because they'll have to sort of you know they'll they'll sort of have to live out um, the very thing they didn't have to deal with for most of the start of this season. Um, and at the same time, they're going to have, you know, the one sixteen thing sort of over the heads again. I don't think for the players themselves, it doesn't matter until next March. That's when I think, you know, the, the pressure really is on them, but as they, as they get ready for the season, it's no doubt going to have to be a motivating factor because everybody's going to, you know, everybody's going to talk about it and, and expect big things from them. Um, or right out of the gate, I would imagine they're going to be a top, you know, what, 10 team probably yeah top 10 i think would be reasonable and, and hopefully these guys just have that hunger in the off right. season that they they feel that sting uh you know when they go to the gym and and you know maybe put up some extra shots right. each night and i think too the the example that dev and zay set in terms of work ethic and in terms of how you handle it you know now you're talking about a team that doesn't have those those leaders i mean jack obviously is the the lone team captain that would remain but i mean really this is ty jerome's team um, this is Cal guys team, yeah. um, and Deandre Hunter as well. I mean, those are the, you know, the, the new faces of the team. I, like you, like you, I hate it for Dev and for Zay because I, you know, of all the kids I've covered in my time at, on this site, you know, those were two of the best. Um, they were two of the most honest. Yeah. They were two of them, obviously the hardest working. I hate that their careers ended that way, but I think the example that they set will have to live on beyond them. Um, and like I said, I, I think that you can both appreciate that that sucks for them and also think that the team has to be better. And so I think a lot of the conversation you and I have had today is, is I, I think the, um, the sort of natural next step, which is for folks who cover the team, folks who are fans of the team, however you want to look at it, like you're going to have conversations about it. You can do it without ripping people up. Um, and I think they would be right. the first to admit that they should have played better. They would be the first to admit that even without Dre, they should have been able to win this game. Um, the question, you know, now for the for the program is how they respond. I think there's a lot of there's a lot there that they're going to be able to work from. So, um, absolutely. So I want to thank uh, Phony. Thanks for again for giving uh, of your time. I really appreciate you being on the show, and to everybody out there for continuing to support the podcast. Really appreciate. Um, all, all basketball season for, for years now, folks have, have, uh, have listened, uh, routinely and dutifully, and I appreciate it. So for, uh, for phony Bennett, I'm Brad Franklin, publisher of CavsCorner.com. Thanks for coming out. We'll see you soon.